This week, me and Amy have been trying to get back into the routine and rhythm of working out in our lives. And so we've been working together, trying to hold each other accountable to get back into this. And so I don't remember what day, maybe Wednesday or Thursday, I had it in my mindset from the time I woke up that when I got back home from work, I was going right into working out. I told Amy, as soon as I get home, I'll give the kids a kiss. I'm going to go downstairs and start working out. And so I had it in my mind. So I worked all day, came home, gave the kids a kiss, went upstairs, got dressed, put on my shoes, go downstairs. And I'm all ready and pumped and excited. And I look at the weights and I said, not today. And I literally walked right back up the stairs and I said, I'm done. And she said, that was a pretty quick workout. And I said, yeah, so it was the expediated version. And so sometimes before we even get started, it feels like we can get stuck. Sometimes in our walk of faith, it's so easy before we even begin the journey, it's so easy to get stuck at the start. Today we are jumping into a new series on somebody, that I love these stories. I love this person of faith. And we're going to be studying this person, his stories over the next couple of weeks and learning from them. And so today we're jumping into a new series on Abraham. And we're looking at his life and the lessons that we can learn from it. But you know what, before Abraham even got started, he got stuck at the start. When I think of Abraham, I think of this patriarch of our faith. So the initiator, somebody that through faith followed God and became the ancestor from which Jesus was born. The greatest claim to fame that Abraham had was that one of his distant relatives, one of his distant descendants was Jesus. The man that he believed God and was blessed with a son when it was impossible he won a war just to save back his nephew. He interceded in prayer over cities that were destined to be destroyed. He was selfless in regards to his family. He lived a long and a very, very blessed life. But it may surprise you to understand that Abraham's start was a little bit rocky. That there were bumps on the way to becoming who he was supposed to become. Maybe just like you, his story wasn't always just so glamorous. Maybe just like me, you might understand that it wasn't just a story to him. It was actually his life. And that it wasn't easy for Abraham. His time in the wilderness, his journey with God was more about, and this is the story of Abraham. It's less about what he did and who he became, but more about his relationship with God and the person that he was becoming with God his relationship, through his relationship with God. And that's where I'm excited to kind of jump in and to start learning about today. Before we get started, can you just bow your heads and let's just pray. Father God, we just invite your presence here. Thank you, God, that you are worthy to be praised. Thank you, God, for your everlasting and unconditional love for us. Lord, I pray you would open up these words to us, God. I pray you would make the picture clear in our heads, Father. Speak to us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Church, can you say Genesis 12? 12. All right. If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12 and put your finger there, we're going there in just a little bit. Before we get too far into Abraham, before we start putting him on a pedestal as this person who is just incredible faith and all these amazing stories, it may surprise you that most likely 
Abraham worshipped other gods. It may surprise you to find out that Abraham, like I was surprised, probably was an idol worshipper. See, Abraham was a distant descendant of Noah. He came down through one of his sons, but between Noah and Abraham, there was a couple hundred years that people started repopulating the earth and started becoming more and more. And in that time, the same problem that Adam and Eve had was still prevalent in the land, which is trying to attain equality with God. And so between Noah and Abraham, you have the story of the Tower of Babel. And so here's all these people that they've understood God and knew God, but they decided that they could become like God, that they didn't need God. And so they try to build this incredible tower to reach heaven, to go up to where the gods lived, and they couldn't do it. And God came down and separated them, caused confusion, and scattered the people. But unfortunately, this did not cause people to come back to God. This caused people to still regard creation as greater than the creator. And because of that, their sin and their separation from God became more and more perverse and more and more a normal way of life. And as I was thinking about Abraham this week, the thought came to me is that Abraham did not benefit from the written word of God. The first five chapters of the Bible, the Torah was written by who? Moses, who is much farther down the line. And so Abraham had to rely on oral faith. He had to, it was from his voice, it was from the parents that passed it down through story after story. And so the God of Noah began getting mixed and interspersed with all these other gods and just became a story to the people. And so instead of knowledge of God and a growing relationship with God, there was actually a crisis of God followers. And more and more people continue to stop following God, to stop believing, oh, that was just, you know, Noah's God or grandpa's tales or who even is that God? And they started believing things that they could make with their hands and things they could see and touch and manipulate. And so Abraham lived smack dab in the middle of this. Joshua 24.2 says this. Joshua's addressing the people and the famous line of saying, me and my family, we serve the Lord, right? And before he gets to that, he says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and they worshipped other gods. I cannot tell you for certain that Abraham worshipped idols. But most likely, he did. He's coming out of a faith tradition that has succumbed to the culture of his time. He's living in a place in a faith that believed in other or multiple gods. And so maybe Abraham believed in God. Maybe he believed in him as a god among many gods. Maybe he didn't believe in him at all. We don't really know. Some of the tradition, the Jewish tradition that surrounds us is that Abraham, like his family, worshipped the moon god. And then he saw how the sun conquered the moon, and so he believed in the sun god. But then how he saw how the moon came right back and conquered the sun, and so he thought there must be something bigger than this. But we don't know for sure. But what we know for certain is that Abraham was surrounded by an idolatrous culture, that his father worshipped idols, and that most likely he followed the tradition of his family and the tradition of his culture. 
what's beautiful about this is that God chooses to work through Abraham. Romans 5.8 talks about how Jesus came while we were still sinners. And much like Melody just said, I love that he's talking about how you can't earn it, you can't prove yourself to be worthy of God's admiration, worthy of God's attention. As soon as Adam and Eve messed up, God could have snapped his fingers and said, you know what, let's go to Mars and start over this whole thing. But God chooses to pick a person and to work through a man to create a community and a nation that knows God. And that's really the thing about these Old Testament stories. It's all about becoming and understanding who God is. And so God works with Abraham and through Abraham and begins a journey where Abraham starts following God. And really it's a pursuit of relationship. That as he takes the step after step after step, he, God, he learns more and more about God's character and who he is. And revealing to him, no, I am God. These other gods are posers. These other things can't give you the things that they're promising. These other things are not even worthy of your attention. I am God. But imagine that you had to come to God without a pulpit like this or a sermon like this or the songs we just sing or even a Bible like this. And all you had to rely on was God's voice and the stories that have been passed down from generation after generation. I bet there might have been a little doubt in Abraham. But I bet there is also this thing inside of all of us is that we desire truth. We want to know, is God real? Is this relationship real? And they want, he wanted to know, are you real God? And so there's something inside of Abraham that when he encounters God, he wants to follow him. And he wants to know, are you God? We're going to get to that later. But before we get going on this, let's start with Genesis chapter 11. We're going to go to verse 31. Genesis chapter 11. I know I told you 12. We're going to skip two verses back. Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son's Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while he was still in Haran. Verse chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Before we go any farther with this, I want to talk to you a little bit about the culture and the context that Abraham was living in. It says he came out of the city of the Ur of the Chaldeans. The city of Ur was the capital of the Mesopotamian Empire at the time. It was an incredible place. Historians estimate that probably about 60,000 people lived there. It was a huge, huge city. It would have been bustling and full of commerce and power. It's the place where you could go and make a name for yourself. It was a place where you could go and gain more power over people or safety behind the walls or have a relationship with the people right there around you. 
it would sit right off of the Euphrates River. And so there would have been boats that came in all the time to do trade, and they would leave and bring in other stories from other cultures and stuff. It was a, it was a huge city. It was the place to live. But on top of that, on top of their fame and their girth and wealth and fortitude, it's also known as a center of religion. It was a place where people would go to worship. They even had houses that would set up for foreigners as they would come in. And so if you look it up now, there's a place called the Ziggurat of Ur, which is a huge temple that was dedicated to the moon god. They served many gods, but chief among them was the moon god. And I want you to just prepare yourself for this. The all-powerful and the mighty moon god, Nana, doesn't quite instill in me an awe and respect, but maybe Nana meant something more powerful back then. But they served this moon god, this powerful god called Nana. And so he was known as somebody that would give guidance to his followers. He would give wisdom if you think about what you look at at nighttime, astrology and the stars. He would give wealth because he would bless and make the cows fertile and they would increase their wealth. And so the people of Ur knew that they thought the Nano was the person they were supposed to serve. They went to him for protection and for wealth and for gain. And Abraham's family lived in this culture. They were a part of it. They worshipped idols and most likely they served this God, Nana, just like the rest of their surrounding people. But God's call was for Abraham to leave all of this. Acts chapter 7, verse 2 through 4, it says this. This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. This is Stephen as he's about to be stoned to death in his last cry. He's giving a, a, an oral history of everything that had caused them up to the moment of Jesus. And he starts with Abraham. He says, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives. Come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to land where you are now. I don't know how old Abraham was when he left Ur, but we know that he was old enough to have a wife. And so he's an adult. He was a, he was a man at this point, and he had an experience with God, Stephen tells us, before he even gets to Haran. He's an experience with God where God's saying, Abraham, leave everything you know and follow me. And so it was a huge ask of God. Leave your family. Leave the inheritance of land that you could gain. Leave the safety of the walls. Remember, this is a time where people power, you would just conquer other people. And so there is safety in numbers. And God's calling him to go out and be a nomad and be subject to the other empires, other principalities of power in the land. Leave all of that and follow me. Leave your wealth, leave your family, leave everything that you know and follow me. Some of you probably can relate to that. Some of you in your 20s or in your 30s probably left your land, left your country of origin, left your family, and went to go and pursue a career or pursue a girl or pursue a house or pursue just something new, pursue something that's warmer than Illinois. So maybe you can feel that. But here it was so much more important to the culturally to stay with your family 
Stay where it's safe. Stay where I can pass down the land. There was no banks and saving account. It was the land. Stay where I can give you an inheritance of wealth. And God's calling Abraham, hey, leave it all and follow me. And if this is ringing any uh, interesting things in your head, you know, Jesus also hits on this. Jesus talks about this too. If you put your finger on Luke chapter 9. So in Acts, God calls Abraham to leave all of his family, leave it. But in Genesis, we learn what? That his father-in-law, his father tags along. And so Terah leaves and he comes with Abraham. And he gets stuck in Haran. I don't know how long Abraham was there, but we know that this man that was married and young becomes 75 years old and his father passes before he leaves. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 9, or verse 57. He says, as, we were, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. The call of discipleship from Jesus is so similar to the call into the unknown that we see God calling Abraham. Leave everything you know. It's not to hurt Abraham, though. It's to increase his faith. He's saying, leave everything that might be a distraction to you. Leave everything that makes it easy for you to follow anything other than me. I want you to leave all of the things that are popular. I want you to leave all these things that the world says to trust in. I want you to leave the things that it's easier to trust my money or my safety or trust all these other things than it is to trust me. I want you to learn who I am. I want you to learn to trust me. And so God calls Abraham out of the place that he settled to leave. And Abraham listens. Acts 7, we learn it's credit as faith to him that he gets up and he follows God. But his father tags along. And he gets stuck in Haran. The interesting thing about Haran is that Haran is a trade route. Its name literally means road or crossroads. It intersected all these other roads. And so it kind of had that big city feel while still having that little town, like, hello, get to know you kind of thing. It wasn't as big as, like, Ur of the Chaldeans, but it's still a booming culture, still a place of wealth and where you could go find safety. It's still a place where you could go uh, experience a good life. And interestingly enough, it was also a secondary place of worship to the god Nana. And so here we have Abraham's father, who we know is an idol worshiper, tagging along with Abraham, and they make this quick pit stop. In Haran. Was it just to get the supplies? Was it just for a night of rest? Was it just because their favorite steakhouse was in Haran? We don't know. But what we do know is that instead of a quick trip in and out, it becomes a place they stay and they wait until Haran passes away, or until Terah passes away. And so before Abraham's journey even begins, really, he gets stuck for how many years in Haran? 
Maybe it can feel very similar is that you had this faith call when you were very young. As a child, I was raised and I experienced God and I got saved in Sunday school. But then teenage years came. Then I met this. Then I did this. And then I drifted and it's been 10, 15 years. But now I have a family and I have kids and I want them to know who God is. And so there's this coming back. But you know how many people I've talked to in my life in just the opportunity I've had to be in this position that said, you know, I heard the call of God in my life to go to ministry. I heard the call of God in my life to go into this trade school. I heard the call in my life, and I, and I didn't do it. I missed it. It's so easy that maybe we feel like we can get stuck before we even get started. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran, and they settled there. I think you probably understand this feeling when you're laying down at night and it's been a long day and you finally have the pillow just right and the fans going and the blankets just positioned and your head's finally clear and you're about to go to sleep and then all of a sudden you remember that at five o'clock the trash guy is coming and you have to get up and take the bins out or the dog barks and you have to go let it out or the baby cries and you have to get up or your wife says honey will you get me a glass of water Think about that feeling of being settled in. The tremendous amount of effort that it requires to get up and to go on. Abraham is 75 years old when God calls him to the unknown. He's been settled in Haran. He's made a secondary life. His family is again established there. Places for wealth and safety. And God at 75 years old is calling him to get up. And to start again. Aren't you thankful that God gives us a second chance? And a third and a fourth and a fifth for me at least. So thankful that we serve a faithful God. And so God calls him in the Ur of the Chaldeans. And he follows him but he settles in Haran. And he messes up. Historians and commentators call it that Haran was the, the, the city of comfort. But Canaan was the land of promise. It's so easy to just get comfortable with life. It's so easy to just get comfortable with our faith. Uh, we'll go to church on this day or once a month or we'll just take our kids to this trip. But, you know, then we have this soccer game or I was just busy, I had a late night. Or, you know what, I just didn't have time to read my Bible. And it's so easy to get stuck in a place where instead of pursuing God, when you first came to him, you're so excited. So excited to set out. I wonder how excited Abraham was when he first left. When he first had to tell everybody, we're packing up and we're leaving. But then just about 400 miles north, he gets stuck in Iran. It's so easy that, to rather choose to be comfortable than to be faithful. Because the unknown is scary. The unknown is a difficult place. It wasn't a place of comfort. It was a place where God was calling Abraham out to be a nomad. You have to rely on me. You have to rely on the weather. You have to rely there's going to be enough grass and enough water to survive. People lived a lot longer still this time. Age is still slowing down. So Abraham might have been like a 40-ish year old man in our mind right now. He had settled himself. 
Have you felt that? Maybe you're approaching that or maybe you're after that. But you remember that place about midlife where you felt settled. Your career track is settled. Your kids are, you've had your kids and they, they're on their way out of high school. And you feel settled. And God's completely disrupting Abraham's life right now. Get up and start over. Thank you, God, that he is faithful. And so the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. And the call comes for the second time. And to Abraham's credit, he gets up and he leaves again. Imagine that conversation for a second time. Abraham, you've been here for 10, 15, 20 years. What are you doing? I'm going to an unknown land. What are you talking about? Your kids are here. Your uncles traveled here. They moved here to be with you. I'm going to an unknown land. You've, you've cattle here. You've land here. What are you doing? I'm going to an unknown land. And even though he had settled down, you see Abraham in faith get back up and follow God. Last week I talked to you about a time and a season in my life of doubt. I talked to you about nine months of just being scarred and hurt and just trying to figure out who God was. And I talked to you last week about how God showed up, put me back on a path of healing and faith in him. So fast forward into that story, picking up where you left off. It's been nine months and I'm back in faith with God and pursuing him still. But coming out of that horrific time in ministry, I decided that that was just a, a season or a blip in my life and that vocational ministry was not for me. I'm not going back to that, Lord. And so I started pursuing other things in my life. I decided at that time, I don't know why, but it was a very popular thing for every person to tell you that you should go be a nurse. Uh, they're always looking for male nurses and you're, you know, you'll get paid more and it's a great occupation and stuff like that. So I decided to go be a nurse. And so I went to college and over the next uh, semester, two semesters or whatever, two years of school, I changed my major four times. And I started pursuing all these other things of uh, becoming a nurse or becoming communications or going to be a speaker or whatever, all these psychology, becoming a counselor and thinking of all these other things and just making sure that it wasn't ministry. I was like, God, I'm not doing that. And really, if I'm really honest with you, I started settling in. I started becoming comfortable with something I could see, something I could touch, something I could control. I know that if I go to school, the minimum I could make is this when I go to a job. I know the track I have to do to this, and it gives me an intern here. I know that if I go do this, there's security in knowing things. But the whole time I was doing that, I had this feeling in my heart that God was calling me to vocational ministry. And I kept pushing it down and pushing it down and kept pushing it down and telling God no. Blatantly saying no. And so two years this went on. And finally, a Sunday came around where I was sitting in a church much smaller than this, about 30 people. And I was sitting in the back row and I had no idea, maybe like some of you right now, what the preacher was saying. I was just in my own head, just like thinking about my own things, using that time for meditation. And I heard God talking to me and saying, I want you to go to school for ministry. And after two years of saying no, of saying no, of settling in, I finally said, okay, yes. But, God, I have conditions. Have you ever come to your faith or God with conditions? 
thankful to God that is gracious with me and didn't just slap me. I said, Lord, I'll, I'll do this, but I don't come for much money and we really can't afford Bible college. Going to school for vocational ministry means I need to go to a Christian college. I need to go to vocational school. Can't pay for it, God. So I said, I, I will do this. I will take that step of faith if you provide for the finances. So God prayed that prayer, went about my day. It was just coming into summer and prepared to go to Bible college. And then thing after thing after thing started happening. I happened to be going to a certain church that happened to qualify me for a certain scholarship. I happened on day one to meet this lady that happened to just have an internship position that just opened up and I happened to just fit the requirements for it. I happened to meet the guy that would be my uh, spiritual guide in college and also be uh, the guy that married Amy and I and he got me a job being an RA which paid for my room and board. I happened to uh, meet a lady that provided a room for me. I happened to meet my wife at college, who ironically is a nurse. And so all of these things, it's not, there's a lot of things that I asked for and I wanted and God didn't provide. I told Amy, it's just like in the last, I feel like five years, we actually could start buying clothes off of not a clearance rack. I lived on like $3,000 my whole year, school years. I'll go work all summer, save it up as much as I can, paid off as much as I could. Eight, I would go and take a water bottle and fill it up with cereal during my 10 meals a week so I could eat it the rest of the week. There's a lot of things that I asked for that God didn't provide, but he kept giving me the next thing and saying the yes to the next thing to help me keep going forward. Just because you ask for something doesn't mean that God's going to do it. But as Charles Swindoll says, Chuck Swindoll says, he said, the Lord gave Abraham sufficient information to make a reasonable decision. I really believe that God is call, has a call in every person's life. And it's not necessarily vocational ministry. God didn't call Abraham to a vocational ministry. He called him to go to an unknown land. Abraham was a nomad. Abraham was a farmer. He had great wealth of sheep and goats and stuff like that. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a counselor. He wasn't some kind of spiritual guru. He was just a man that felt the call from God and he said yes. And so I don't know what the call is specific to you, but I know that God has a call placed on your life. Our mission statement is connecting people to God, people, purpose, and hope. You have a purpose placed on your life that God's calling you into. And the very first step for walking into that purpose is walking into the unknown. God, I don't know what you're calling me into, but I know the right next step. So take that step. God, Abraham didn't know where his life was going to end. He didn't know the things that God was going to do over the course of his whole life. All he knew was that God said, I promise you, I'm going to take care of you. And I need you to follow me and leave everything else behind. God will not let you down. He will not show up as you think all the time. He will not do things that you want him to do all the time. But he is faithful to you. And more importantly, he's faithful to himself. And he will not be made a liar, and he will not be made a fool.
Church, I'm going to invite Steve up here in a little bit to lead us in communion. I just want to pray over you before we just take the elements and remember our Lord and Savior. If you just bow your head for just a second, I just want to ask you this very simple question. Two things. What is the right next step for you? What is the call on your life that God's putting on your life? And two, how are you responding to that call? Are you settled or are you following? Father, right now, thank you, God, that I have so much confidence, God, full confidence that you have, you know every person in this room, you know their life, Father, you know everything they are, and you've said, I love you. Thank you, God, that you have a call in every person here, Father, and it's not too late to follow it. God, I pray for a boldness of faith right now. I pray that we would step beyond our comfort, beyond the things we know, Father, and follow you into that unknown. God, as we say yes and move into that, God, thank you that you are going to reveal yourself again and again and more and more in a personable way, Father. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.